Hi there, this is episode 123, and back by popular request today, I am doing a Q&A episode to answer your questions. You are listening to the Simple Families Podcast, a Q&A style show that brings you solutions for living well with family. Here's your host, Danae Barahona. Hi there, it's Danae. Thank you for tuning in. This is episode 123. Today, I'm going to be doing a Q&A episode. I solicited questions from the audience members via Instagram, and I have a giant list of questions in front of me, and I'm going to take as many as I can. One thing I want to share before we get started is that the Simplifying Child Behavior program that I opened in July has reopened. It was such a success, and I've heard so much good feedback from those who participated. This is a 30-day, three-minute-a-day program that's self-paced and designed to provide you with positive parenting solutions that are both effective and easy to implement. You can check that out by going to simplefamilies.com forward slash behavior. Now here's a quick one-minute word from our sponsor. Today's sponsor is Simple Contacts. Now, when I first encountered Simple Contacts, I thought it was just a regular old mail-order contact company, but it's actually so much more. If you wear contacts, then you know how annoying it is to have to get a prescription year after year just to buy more contacts. And if you're anything like me, then you probably wear the same prescription year after year. Here's how it works. You can use your phone or computer and take a simple five-minute eye test anywhere. Then a real doctor reviews your test, writes your prescription, and then boom, you get a fresh supply of brand new contacts. It was actually that simple. Now, please remember that this is not a replacement for your periodic full eye health exam. I encourage you to try it out. You can get $20 off your first order. Go to simplecontacts.com forward slash simple20 and use the code simple20 at checkout. Again, go to simplecontacts.com forward slash simple20 and use the code simple20 at checkout. All right, let's get started on these questions. So I'm going to start with question number one, which is a really easy one from Rose Grace Farm. And she asked, what app do you use to crop your Instagram pictures? And I wrote, I use the preview app and it's an app that edits and helps you lay them all out. So for anyone that's interested in upping their Instagram game, I really do love the preview app. Marcy asked, are you homeschooling this year? And if so, what is your style or method? So I like to say that we're dabbling in homeschooling this year because my four and a half year old is going to preschool part time. So he's going three afternoons a week. I think it's like eight or nine hours a week. So that's going to allow us to dabble in homeschooling in the mornings. So we're not doing anything highly structured. We're really not doing a set curriculum. We're just going to be doing a little bit of activities and some focus time together in the mornings. And I'll include my two and a half year old in that as well. There is one homeschooling program that I am drawing a lot of influence from, and it's called Oak Meadow. It's sort of a Waldorf-based curriculum. For preschool, they don't have a set day-to-day curriculum per se. It's sort of a framework. So I've been reading through that and really enjoying that, and I think I'll be incorporating a good amount of that into our days. But overall, we're going to be taking it easy and slow and really low-key. My four and a half year old is showing some signs of reading readiness and starting to sound out some words but I'm really not in a hurry for that to happen. So I will be following his cues, but at the same time, focusing more on reading and storytelling and doing some pre-literacy work this year. And I intend to tell the teacher at the school that he's going to be going to the same. That if he's really asking to read and he's really asking to learn more, then sure, go ahead, but we're not pushing it. 
So we'll see how this year goes. If we like Oak Meadow, we might decide to stick with it for next year. But I have a feeling that if we do keep homeschooling, that it'll probably be a hodgepodge of different things to meet the needs of my kids. Next up is Jessica, and she asked, what aspect of simplicity at home would you tackle first for someone looking to get started? For me, and I know for many others, that decluttering the home was the first step that led down the path to decluttering the calendar and the schedule, and then my brain and pretty much all other things in life. But when starting in the home, I would recommend first and foremost to start with your own stuff and your own spaces. And to start with the area that's driving you the most crazy. So if your closet is overwhelming and bulging with stuff, start there. Start with whichever space brings you the most anxiety and irritation. Because once you tackle that, you're going to feel this feeling of accomplishment and you're going to feel how good it feels to live lighter. And then you're going to be hooked and you're going to want to move through the rest of your house too. The next question is for Mary, and she asked, we're moving in about a month, and I'm hoping to use this move as a good springboard to start living a more minimalist and simple lifestyle regarding clutter and all of our stuff. Can you give me some tips on moving and downsizing all of our stuff? So we moved cross-country a year ago, and it was a really hard move, especially with kids. And I have to say that we were pretty light before we moved. Our closets were nearly empty in many cases. We used the opportunity to really call through everything that we own to decide if it was really important enough to make the move with us. Now, because it was a part of a corporate relocation package, we did have movers. So we went through every single thing to make sure we wanted the movers to pack it. And then the movers came in and finally boxed it all up. But when it arrived at our new house in New York, I have to say I was astounded at how much stuff we still had. I really thought we were doing well, but when that moving truck pulled up and I saw all this stuff, I was like, wow, this cannot be ours. Now the house we moved into is somewhere around 2,800 square feet. We were in 2,200 square feet before, and this was just the house that we ended up with. It wasn't that we were looking for bigger. I actually would have preferred a little bit smaller, Um, but we had a little bit more space to spread the stuff out in, and it didn't seem cluttered when we got in. But one thing that I have noticed is that I haven't found as many resources to get rid of things and to declutter since we moved. When we were living in Texas, I knew very easily where I could sell things or donate things, and I haven't found those resources as readily in our new home. So that has added to more clutter because it's harder to get rid of things. So I'd say when you're moving, make sure that you find a place to donate and to sell things as soon as you get settled because that will keep you on track. I also think that when you're settling into a new space, you need to give it some time and live in it before you decide how you're going to use it. You can do your best to lay it all out in advance and to plan it all out, but be open to the fact that you might use your home and your space a lot differently than you originally intended. An example of that is in our home, it used to, there used to be a detached garage and someone connected the garage to the house. There was a breezeway in between the two. So we have this sort of awkward room in between what used to be the garage and the house. And when we moved in, we were like, what are we going to do with this room? And for about six months, it was just this crazy disaster because it had no purpose and it had no function. But then we decided to make that our kids' play space, and it's actually where we end up hanging out and spending most of our time now. So what originally seemed as if it was going to be this sort of throwaway space ended up being a space that we designed to be really beautiful and a place we love to be, and it gets a ton of use. 
So take it slow, give yourself time, give yourself lots of grace because it's going to be harder than you expect, no matter what. And if it ends up being easier, then that's just a bonus. Next up is Ashley. And Ashley asked, what do you do when your spouse is skeptical or downright antagonistic about simplifying and or positive parenting? This is a great question, Ashley. Now, I think that sometimes we come across people who are a little bit combative or a little bit defensive about accepting new ideas. And I think that's totally fine and totally normal on many levels. I'm pretty infamous for coming up with really crazy ideas and attempting to get my husband on board, and he pretty often says no or rejects them, often for good reason, because sometimes they're pretty crazy. But a couple things that I always do when I'm presenting a new idea to my husband is that I always give some facts and I give another source. So I never say to him, I think that this would be a good idea because of this reason and this reason. I always say, oh, I read this article about something that said this and it says that this is good because of this. So I try to externalize it. I try to make sure that this is supported by another source outside of myself. This isn't just my crazy idea that's coming from nowhere. There are other people on board with this. There are other people that are having success with this. It helps if I have something written, some sort of article or a piece of research that I can send to him. Here's an example of this. So a couple years before we were ready to have kids, I wanted to go off birth control and start this new hormone-free birth control called taking control of your fertility. And basically what it is is you're timing ovulation in order to avoid pregnancy. So I explained to him, I was like, you know, that it's birth control, but you don't have to take anything. It's free and it's organic and it's effective. And he was like, heck no, that sounds totally unreliable. I am not on board for that. So I sent him the facts. I sent him the research to show him that, hey, this works. People do this. It's actually a viable option. And once I fully presented my case to him, he was on board. So when you're presenting your spouse with a new idea, give a lot of information, be open to asking questions, be open to the fact that this might not be the end-all be-all of solutions, and expect that there's going to be some resistance. Change isn't easy for anyone. Try to focus first and foremost on yourself and making positive changes yourself, and the people around you are going to see that, and it's going to rub off on them. It might take a little bit more time than you want, but it will happen. The next question comes from Debbie, and she wrote, how do you manage devices for multiple people in the family? It seems like every person has a tablet and a phone once they're 10, in addition to video games and computers. How do we make sure that we keep it simplified while not making our kids feel like we're mean? Debbie, your kids are probably going to think you're mean no matter what you do. I like to call myself the fun police because I pretty much just kill fun all the time in my house. Because even though I am pretty lighthearted and fun a lot of the time, that still leaves a whole lot of time that I am setting boundaries and limits that my kids don't like. And it is part of the job description. So my kids are still young. So the way that I manage devices in my house is that my kids just don't have devices. And that's easy when they're two and four. We have a Kindle Fire for each of them, but they're only allowed to use it when we're doing long road trips or when we're flying on planes which is partly to limit screen time and partly to keep my sanity. Because if you've ever handled a Kindle Fire, they are a piece of junk. You can have it for about five minutes and you're going to want to throw it out the window because it barely works. But that doesn't stop my kids from wanting to use it all the time. Most people who follow the blog and podcast know that I am a big proponent of limiting screen time for our kids. So I'll tell you exactly how we handle screen time in our house right now. And I say right now because I think that it could change. So this isn't a forever plan, but this is what's working for us. 
So my kids are never allowed to use my phone or my husband's phone or any of our adult devices. After lunch each day, they each get to pick a show. So my son gets a 20-minute show and my daughter gets a 20-minute show on TV. And right now, that's it. Now, my daughter is still two, two and a half, and she's at an age where she does enjoy watching some TV, but she doesn't want to watch hours and hours of it. Now, my son is the type that could really get drawn in and pulled in and watch a lot of screen time if it wasn't regulated. So it is important that I really keep a wrap on it for him. And of course, he would like more screen time. He would like more than 20 minutes a day. And we have struggled with this, and we've had a lot of begging, and we've had a lot of asking. And at the time that that was happening, I often responded with something like, screen time's not good for you, TV's bad for you, or you can't have too much. And then one day, he came to me, and he kind of dropped his head. This was probably like six months ago or so. He dropped his head and said, I don't know why I love the TV so much. And he looked really sad. And it occurred to me that he was feeling shamed for enjoying screen time. He was feeling bad about these desires and these things that he liked. And I really strive to be a shame-free parent. I don't want my kids to feel shame. So when I saw that from him and I realized, hey, I'm shaming my kid around his love for screen time. And even though I don't think screen time is good for him, it still kind of sucks for him that he feels that way. So I knew that I needed to shift things so that he wasn't feeling shame, but at the same time, he wasn't getting full reign of the television and iPads and that sort of thing. So here's what I said to him at that time, and it's something that I continue to repeat to him intermittently when we talk about this. My job as your mom is to make sure that your brain is healthy and your body is healthy. And to keep your brain and body healthy, you've got to be moving and playing all the time. When we're watching TV, we're not moving and playing and exercising our brain and body. So while it's okay to have a little bit, it's my job to make sure that you don't have too much so that your brain and body stay healthy and active. And for whatever reason, that explanation really stuck with him and he gets it now. So he gets a little bit, but he also understands that it's my job to make sure he doesn't get too much because it's not healthy for him. So since that time, we've put in the scheduled daily screen time after lunch, that 20 minutes for each kid. And that coupled with that explanation that I gave him has really eliminated our battles around screen time. The next question comes from Meg. She wrote, I have a two, soon to be three-year-old. He's starting to test boundaries. For example, with a big mischievous smile, he'll run away when it's time to leave the house. I use the first we will do this and then we'll do the next thing. But how do we handle not listening and mischief at this stage? So what Meg is referring to is the first then principle, which is something that I'm a huge proponent of. I'll put the link to the video to show you how to do that in the show notes for today at simplefamilies.com forward slash episode 123. So Meg, this is something that we talk a lot about in the Simplifying Child Behavior program that we're running right now. So This is a tough age because we have a lot of expectations around behavior, but we also have to rein in the expectation based on the developmental level of the child. As parents, we put a lot of pressure on ourselves to get our kids to behave. We put a lot of pressure on ourselves to get our kids to act in certain ways. And to do that, we think that we need to intervene and we need to take action every time we see some sort of minor infraction. And I am actually a big proponent of learning how to pick our battles. And that means that we're really focusing on teaching our kids how to stay safe, 
how to be respectful of themselves and respectful of others. That means there's a lot of other little minor infractions that we need to let go of. And in the Simplifying Child Behavior course, I talk a lot about how to differentiate between one and the other. I also give you some really clear strategies as to how to approach these difficult behaviors. In young children, there aren't a lot of things that kids are doing just to be bad. They're doing things more so because they're curious. They do quote unquote bad things because they haven't yet learned a better way to behave. So discipline is really about educating children and teaching them what society expects of behavior. So Meg, I highly recommend you check that out. It's at simplefamilies.com forward slash behavior. Amy wrote, can you do more Journey to Simplicity stories? They were so inspirational and I've listened to several of them twice. Yes, Amy, I've had a lot of requests for that and I think that I am going to do more. Angela wrote, how are you able to work and homeschool with young children? What type of help works best for you? Angela, this is a work in progress now. As I'm just starting to do some homeschooling with my kids, my plan is that I'm going to be with my kids in the mornings, so from the time they wake up until around 11 or 12, and then I'm going to be working in the afternoons from around 12 till 5. As many of you who follow me on Instagram know, we brought an au pair to live with our family starting in June from Poland. And that is our childcare arrangement as it stands. With an au pair, you get 45 hours a week of flexible childcare, so you can use it at any point in time. So while I don't work 45 hours a week, we still have extra hours that my husband and I can use for date night or to get some chores and tasks and things like that done on the weekends too. In previous years, I had been sending both my kids to Montessori school in the morning and using that time to work. And that arrangement just really wasn't working because I wasn't getting enough time in. By the time I drove them and I dropped them off at school, I got about two hours of work done and I had to turn around and drive home, drive back and pick them up again. So this year we decided to opt out of Montessori school and instead bring the au pair. And I will say that it costs a lot less to have an au pair than it does to send two kids to Montessori school. And now I'm a huge proponent of the au pair program, and I'll talk about this more. I've gotten a lot of questions about this. I probably should dedicate a whole episode to this, but it's been such a wonderful arrangement for us. I think one of the reasons that it's been so successful for our family is that with a nanny, you have someone that comes into your house when you leave. So you're not spending a lot of time together with them. But with an au pair, they're living with you and they're spending time with you even when they're not working. They're part of your family. So she has pretty seamlessly adapted to our parenting styles and to our family life and really is an extension of us when she's with our kids. She spends a lot of time with me. We work together a lot with the kids and she sees how I do things and she really respects how I do things and has adopted those things even when I'm not around. And it's also just really fun to have a young woman in our house that we're kind of mentors to, someone just recently asked me, like, is it having an, like having another kid or is it like having an employee in your house? And I would say it's kind of like being an aunt. So you're kind of a role model. You're kind of someone that they're looking up to and they're learning from, but you're not really their mom. So having an au pair has been an amazing solution for our family on so many levels. And I think that it's something that we're going to stick with, at least while our kids are young. I have another question from Jay Taranto. I don't see your first name here. I apologize for that. And she wrote, what do you do with things people give you that you don't need or want? What if those people are family that would notice the items not being in your house anymore? I'm feeling guilty about letting go of some of the things that, so I just hold on to them. 
So I used to feel that and I don't anymore. And I found that I was holding on to a lot of things that weren't bringing me any joy, things that weren't useful to me, things that other people had given me, sometimes thoughtfully and sometimes not totally thoughtfully. And they were just sort of looking to buy something at the last minute. Um, But either way, if it's not something that's serving me, I don't keep it. I think oftentimes it's better off in the hands of someone else. It's better off being donated or sold to someone that's actually going to use those things rather than being shoved in the back of a closet somewhere in my house. And I haven't been asked yet about things that are missing by family members, but if I was, I would tell them honestly that, you know, we didn't have a place for that and it wasn't giving a lot of use, so we found a new home for it. And honestly, the more that we have moved towards minimalism, the less gift giving that we've done of tangible gifts ourselves and the less that we've received. So while it takes a little while for family and friends to get on board with this idea, they start to see it and they start to understand it. And you will start to get fewer tangible gifts, particularly fewer tangible gifts that you're not going to be able to use. Another question about homeschooling from Jill. She said, I'd love to hear about your journey to making your decision to homeschool. I know so little about it, and I've never considered doing it until I had kids approaching school age. So honestly, Jill, I never thought about it either until after we moved to New York and we live about an hour north of the city in an area with amazing natural resources and preserves. And we're also really close to the train that takes us right downtown. And it just kind of hit me that... There are so many amazing things that I want to show my kids and I want to teach my kids and I want them to do it in the real world. I want them to go outside and learn about science in the outdoors. I want them to go to the actual museums and learn about art by looking at the actual pieces of art. That there's so much piece, there's so much learning that is to be done in the real world that it seems almost a shame to have them doing it from textbooks when all those things are at their fingertips. So a big part of that was just really being inspired about where we were living and the way that I really wanted my kids to be learning. So I'm not committed to it. I don't know how long we'll homeschool. Maybe it'll be six months. Maybe it'll be six years. I have no idea. But I want to see how it goes and I want to try it. But I do want to make it perfectly clear that the only reason that I am even attempting to homeschool my kids is that I have the built-in childcare with the support of the au pair. I know that I am not at my best when I'm with my kids from sunup to sundown. Putting in those long days every day would not make me happy and it wouldn't make my kids happy. So I think when we think about homeschooling, we think about this like all day doing everything for our kids, doing everything with our kids. And I don't think that it has to be like that. I still want to work. I still want to run simple families. I still want to have time to myself and I want to have my own identity. But I also really love spending time with my kids, and I love teaching my kids, and I love the idea of being a part of that. So I'm entirely realistic about the fact that I don't want to be with my kids from 6 a.m. to 7 p.m. when they go to bed, and that I need support. I need other people, and I can't do it all on my own. So when people tell me, oh, you're going to homeschool, you're so patient, I don't necessarily think that those two things have to be correlated. Perhaps there are families out there who homeschool that spend sunup to sundown every day with their kids and they do it well. I think that those are probably few and far between because I think that any human is going to get burnout of doing that every day, every minute. So if it's something that you're considering, I would think strongly about finding a way to find yourself outside of providing an education for your kids. 
All right. The next and final question is thoughts about managing conflict between two young kids, stealing toys, pushing jealousy of the baby. Most advice is geared towards letting them work it out themselves, but one of them is way too little to get it yet. You're right. I am a big proponent of letting kids work it out themselves. I think that the sibling relationship is very symbolic of future relationships to come. It's a very intimate relationship. There's going to be conflict that comes across that they are not prepared to deal with, and they need to practice that problem solving and conflict management to really get skilled at it. So when we can and when it's safe, letting kids talk it through, letting them yell it out, we need to do that if we can, even if it makes us a little crazy. And it will make us a little crazy. But you're right. There are times when it's not safe. And when one kid is too big and the other kid is too little. The thing that works the best for me on managing sibling conflict when this comes into play is using a concept that I've talked about a little bit before on Instagram and on the blog if you're an avid follower. And it's called expansion and contraction. And it's this idea that kids need to come together for activities and play that is connected and close, you know, they're sitting closely playing with Legos or sitting down together doing Play-Doh. But they also need time to go about and to run and to have free play and to separate from each other. So they need to expand and go out and play freely and they need to contract and come together and do activities jointly. And they need to find a balance between those two things. And when they start to get on each other's nerves, you probably need to switch from expansion to contraction or from from contraction to expansion. And what that looks like in real life is when they're getting on each other's nerves, that probably means they need to move. They need to separate, not necessarily separate and go to their rooms, but they need a bigger activity, something that's not so in each other's space. So if they're sitting down playing Play-Doh and they start throwing Play-Doh at each other or start ripping it out of each other's hands, it might be time to put the Play-Doh away and go outside. So it's important to be aware of this phenomena of expansion and contraction and realize that, well, oftentimes our kids will be contracting for too long and sort of playing on top of each other and picking at each other. That often means they need to expand and they need to play separately or sort of go about and do their own things. And they're going to cycle back and forth between expansion and contraction all day long. And sometimes they need help from us as adults to facilitate that. So if you see your kids picking at each other and getting on each other's nerves and they're trying to work it out and they can't work it out, they might just need to go their separate ways and do things differently. And this isn't a punishment. This isn't a you go to your room and you go to your room. It's finding a way to give them that space where they can explore their own interests and take a breather from each other because we all need that. So that wraps up the Q&A for today. If you have questions, make sure that you're following Simple Families on Instagram, and I will solicit questions on there in preparation for doing this Q&A, which I'm going to try to do once a month. For those of you in Columbus, Ohio, or the surrounding areas, I'll be hosting a casual coffee and chat this Saturday, September 8th. So if you're listening to this in real time, I'd love to have you email me or visit the Facebook site for details. I will leave the link for that event and lots of the things that we talked about today in this Q&A in the show notes. So visit those at simplefamilies.com forward slash episode 123. Thanks. If you want to stay in touch with Simple Families and hear the latest of what's going on on the blog and on the podcast, go to simplefamilies.com and leave your email address. The email list is the best way to stay in touch.